0: Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses our Appleton campus, our West campus, Germantown campus, online campus? We're one church, multiple locations. We believe that video is a stained glass of the 21st century. And so, right now, there are campuses uh, throughout Milwaukee and then in central Wisconsin that are meeting. And then You know, in the summertime, people are traveling, and so online campus is is huge, and uh, just people joining in, and so we're we're glad that you're with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 5. I'm going to get there in just a minute. And uh, I want to talk today about uh, missing Jesus. Not that Jesus is missing, (laughs) but missing Jesus. Now, I've been raised in church all my life. And there's good things about that and bad things about that. If you've been raised in church all your life, I'm sorry. Can I just say that right from the beginning? Some of you are like, what? This is a pastor. Because it's not that Jesus is funky, but church people get to be funky sometimes, right? I'm going to say some things today. I hope I don't offend you. If I do, let me just say this right now. I'm sorry. Um, but you can go to Lowe's and get a ladder and get over it. The reality is, is that I'm just saying, if you're not a Christ follower today and you're here, um, some of this is a little bit insider, but uh, I'm going to try to explain some of it as best I can. But what happens sometimes is that I find sometimes, I've watched this all my life, I'll see people that have been quote-unquote saved, they've been Christ followers for years, decades. Not all people are like this, but but there are some. I, I think I think about 99.9% of church people, that really have a good heart, right? Now, I'm not there to judge anybody's motives, but I only think about 50% of pastors have a good heart. But, but 99% of church people, that's a good time for you to say amen, 99.9% of all church people, their motives are right. But I think about like 0.1%, they're just devils. You know, the, they got the devil in them, right? And, and so what happens is, is that I will watch sometimes where church people that have been saved all their lives have such a hard time with what God is doing, or just trying to keep a a, a flexible, fresh heart towards the things of God. And I will watch people who are brand new in their faith, maybe been just saved of several months or a few years, all of a sudden, man, they just get it. The Bible says do it, and they do it. The Bible says stop this, and they stop it. The Bible says start that, and they start it. And then I'll get around some, some what I call crusty Christians, and they'll try to explain it away. Well, you know, and, and God really didn't mean, and that really is not intended to be, and I don't really, I have a hard time with, and I just think God understands. we explain it away. And they miss what God's doing. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, myself and, and Gary Pribnich, our executive business director, and, and Ryan Coggins, our executive pastor, and myself uh, we're in search for a permanent location for the West Campus. And so we're looking at property, we're looking at buildings. And uh, so we had a realtor contact us and and I mean, things are going good at West Campus and we want to continue to see what God's happening there and and one of our goals is to have a permanent location and a permanent place so that we can basically do the things at the Germantown uh, campus at the West Campus. Kids space and adult space and all of that. and um, And so we're looking at a piece of property and And we're looking at this building. It's a church building. And sometimes that's easy to do because it's already been zoned and there's not a lot of legal involved and municipalities involved with having to rezone properties and all that kind of stuff that goes on. So it's just kind of a plug-and-play kind of a situation. So we're looking at this particular building, and I'm asking the realtor who's showing us, tell me why these people are are moving. Is it that they're growing and they've expanded the space and they've, they've, they've done multiple services? No. Is it they're just... You know, is it, is it just that, you know, what, what's the deal? Well, the deal is, is the congregation actually is shrinking, which is the case of most churches in America. It's shrinking, and they just don't need the space. And I watch this happen over and over and over again. I have friends and know people that are planting churches all over, and they're in rented spaces, and they're in theaters, and they're in schools, and they're setting up, and they're tearing down like we do at West Campus and like we do at Appleton Campus, and they're doing that, and they're in storefronts like we started out here in the Germantown Campus, and all this is going on, and they're growing in multiple services, and yet there's these churches with beautiful buildings. And I'm not all geeked out about buildings, but there are some beautiful Beautiful, beautiful church buildings in Milwaukee. I mean, some beautiful cathedrals and just masterpieces architecturally. And, and they're dying and they're shrinking. And it's not because those people's hearts are wrong. It's not because those people are, are it's because they're missing Jesus. This is a church in major metropolitan city in America. Spent over a $100 million on a brand new building. Not because they needed it, but because they wanted it. So they moved to a temporary location, blew up, exploded, demolished the old building, just built a brand new structure because they had that kind of money. Are we missing Jesus? And and so that's what I wanna talk to you about today because I think the issue in all of this stuff, it's followership. The issue is followership. The issue is, and I'm this way, so I'm just gonna talk about me for a minute. I, I don't like to follow, I like to lead, I, 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 I don't like to, I, I, I like to let's just go, what, what direction are we going to go, let's do it, let's make it happen, I don't let any grass grow under my feet, I mean, I don't drive a car, I aim a car, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm like, I don't want to be in the slow lane, and how many of you know, you come north on 94, out of Chicago, and that left lane is always slow, and it's somebody with Wisconsin tags and a Buick, amen, I'm just saying, tell the truth and shame the devil, I've lived here long enough, I can say that, almost 12 years, I'm just saying, it, I just, let's get around, let's just go, just, let, we don't have time, let's, let's make this happen, it, my, my mantra is kind of like you, it's kind of like Burger King, it's my way right away now, you know what I'm saying? I made some of you hungry, didn't I? I know I like a double Whopper with cheese and some onions, but I'm just saying, we don't like to follow, and as Americans, we really don't like to follow. Follow? Bless God, we're going to blaze a trail. We're going to make it happen. We're going to take hell on with a water gun. And I think America is the greatest place on the earth. You, you need to understand that. I applaud every serviceman, every servicewoman. I, 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 I love our country. And this is the, I'm telling you, I travel all over the world, as many of you do. I, this is the greatest place on the planet. Amen. Amen. It really is. But we have a hard time following and I'm not telling you to follow me. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But the Bible calls us to follow Jesus, that we are to be Christ followers. We are to go where he goes and do what he says and say what he says and act as he acts. And Jesus addresses this issue in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And he does it with a parable. A parable is a story with meaning. And he talks about old garments and new patches, and more popularly, old wineskins and new wine. Now let me set up chapter 5 before we get into it, because I'm going to get to verse 30 in just a second. What's happening in chapter 5 is Jesus has encountered Levi, who's a tax collector, a.k.a. a sinner, okay? Tax collectors um, were not good people in the first century. And so, uh, so the reality is, is that he's encountered him, and, but he has called him, and Levi has responded to the call, which denotes salvation has taken place in his life. His heart has been changed. Now, you and I don't know Levi as Levi. We know him as Matthew, one of the disciples who writes the first book of the New Testament. Now, Is that not amazing to you? Think about this just for a second. Matthew is a complete sinner. Jesus disciples him for three years, dies on the cross for our sins, raises again, goes to the the heaven, sends the Holy Spirit, and Matthew, along with 10 other colleagues, are now commissioned to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's only been saved three years. Not 30 years, not 40 years. He's not steeped in religious tradition and the law, he's a sinner. I love this about Jesus. Not only does he lead the New Testament church and help with his other disciple brothers, but he gets to write the first book of the New Testament. He gets to be the one to tell the genealogy all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through the house of David, all the way to Mary and Joseph. And there came a babe and his name was Jesus. And so Levi is stoked. He's excited about meeting Jesus. His life has been changed. And he does what everybody does when you first get saved. You tell your friends. Remember when you had friends? (laughs) Remember when you had friends outside the church? Take me back. All right. Remember a long time ago and you had friends and, and what did you do? I mean, you got together on Friday night and you drank beer and you, and you sat around and you went here and you went there and you did this and you did that. And, 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 and what does he do? He does what he knows to do. He throws a party. That's what I love. He doesn't throw a Bible study. Mm. Some of you crusty Christians, I'm really making you mad right now. I'm sorry. He doesn't. He invites his friends. He invites sinners. And the religious establishment of the day, the church, if you would, is enraged. They're enraged, first of all, that Jesus would associate with, Matt, with, with Levi, Matthew, a tax collector. They're, they're, they're enraged that they, he could redeem a guy like that. They're enraged that somebody like that could actually come to church and like that could actually be a leader and like that could actually follow the rabbi. They're enraged that Jesus is hanging out at a party. And I don't mean to desensitize it for you, but we kind of look at it like it's a church potluck. Like, you know, like, like Mike Rockwell brought some deviled eggs. Mike, I had not had some of those in a while. I'd like to have some, I'm just telling you. I mean, right, like, like, like that happened. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. This was a party. Make no mistake. I'm sure people had all kinds of stuff there. Do you know, I need to elaborate. We understand what a party means in the world. Okay, good. So this is all going on, and Jesus shows up with the disciples. And was Jesus partaking of these things? No. But I'm telling you, these were a bunch of, like, skirt-chasing, cocaine-snorting, half-lit sinners. Read it. It's there in the book. This is what made the religious establishment so mad. But I want, before we get into verse 30, I want to look at something. I want you to notice something. Jesus always had a connection to the sinner, to the lost. But he had a hard time keeping the found. Lost people got Jesus, but religious people didn't. Lost people were attracted to Jesus, but religious people were repelled. People outside of the church understood. They understood amazing grace. They understood a merited favor because they needed it. But church people didn't because they didn't think they needed it. Mm wait a minute. I'm about to, I'm telling you, give me a Hammondby organ and a black choir. We're going to have some church up. Here's the deal. This is what's going on. This is happening. And so look at verse 30. Luke says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly. That's a really nice way for they pulled out a full can to Jesus' disciples. They don't even go to Jesus because critics never go to the people they're criticizing. Religious people never criticize the person they're criticizing. They like to murmur and complain and gossip. as a whole other message for another day. And here was their complaint. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? They have a complete disdain for this. Mark Twain said this. It's really good. After having spent a lot of time with religious quote-unquote people, I understand why Jesus preferred to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. Again, by 99% of church people are pretty good. But this is that 1%. They just got the devil in them, right? It's just enough to mess it up. I love what Jesus does. He doesn't allow his disciples to answer. He's like, you talking to me? Pardon me, are you talking to me? I'm just telling you, when we get to heaven and the heavenly IMAX, right, with like the jumbo butter popcorn, you know what I'm talking about, and the big, I don't have to have Diet Coke in heaven. Right now I have to have Diet Coke you don't keep a body like this without Diet Coke. I'm just saying. <laughs> that and Spanx. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, I'm going to get there. I'm going to see this. I'm telling you, this will be one of those, like, you can't handle the truth moments. I'm just saying. Jesus looks at them. Look at verse. Look, look, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. The sick people do. I, Jesus said, have come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend my time with those who think they're already good Enough. Jesus tells the Pharisees that truly godly people aren't concerned with man-made traditions and laws. But they're concerned with people. With lost people. They're missing Jesus. God in flesh. The one whom they're trying to honor, the religious people. He's standing in front of them. The one who spoke the world into existence. The one who will die for the sins of humanity. The one who is the only one that could pay the price for our sins. And they don't even get it. They know the law. They know the Bible backwards and forwards. They can recite it. They practice it. They tithe. They give. They, I'm telling you, the, the, the Old Testament, the Jewish law, they gave more money and had more offerings for more things than you could shake a stick at. I mean, they, just, they, they, they did everything over the top, yet the person, the Messiah, God himself, God incarnate, the incarnational presence of Jesus Christ is standing in front of them and they don't even see him. They don't even get it. It's a new problem been around for years. And notice what they do. This is always what religious people do. When they're confronted with something that they don't understand, they spiritualize the issue. They try to take it to a level that nobody else can understand. They try to take it to a place that confounds people, and they just try to trip people up. Notice what they do. They, they, and they, because religious people always spiritualize what they don't understand. They bring in the spiritual subject of fasting, Fasting. Why don't your disciples fast and pray more? Look at it, verse 33. And they said, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Look at Jesus' response. This is the New Living Translation, verse 34. And as he often did, Jesus responded to their question with a question of his own. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating the groom? Someday he will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. They don't even understand that the groom. See, we, the church of the bride of Christ, Jesus is the groom. The groom is standing in front of them and they don't even understand it. And what he's saying is you guys don't get it. You're missing it. You're missing Jesus. And these disciples and these people and Levi who, who has just gotten saved and doesn't know all the protocols and doesn't know that you can't bring a keg to a church party. He, he, he's not learned all that stuff yet. He doesn't know that you can't invite lost people, which you can always, amen. And But but I'm just saying he doesn't understand all the protocols. He doesn't understand all the laws and traditions. He's not, he's just barely new in his faith. He doesn't even know that there's some words that we don't say anymore. He, he doesn't get it all. He, he doesn't understand there's just certain Certain things that we do and that we don't do. He doesn't get it, but yet he gets Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that people can be in church all of their life and miss Jesus and someone can encounter him and then five days later they understand him and they get him better than people that have been around all of their lives? Woo! He's preaching now, girl. And Jesus has his fill and he says, I'm just going to give you a parable. And Jesus takes it from the spiritualization that they're trying to do and brings it to the practical. Let me help you with something. Anytime somebody, a pastor, a spiritual leader, a religious person, tries to spiritualize an issue in a way in which you don't understand, it's because they don't understand it themselves. When you walk away from a spiritual conversation, and this brought down to a practical term in which you can understand, it's because they understand it and they had the ability to translate it. That's called communication, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Jesus Christ did. He took the things that were very mysterious and brought them down to a way that everybody could understand. And he does it this way. Look at verse 36 through 39. He told them this parable. For no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, which means they would have destroyed it, and the patch in the new garment won't even match the old, so it's of no value. Verse 37, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. I like verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants new, for they say the old is better. Now, the focus here isn't about wine and about garments, but it's a word picture of what they represent. Jesus is the new wine, and the religious people have continued to try to pour him into their worn-out, brittle traditions of their religion. That's why it's not working. They're trying to fit Jesus into their mold. They have a certain view of what the Messiah would be and, and, and what he would look like, and Jesus doesn't fit into their preconceived ideas. And Jesus is telling them, in essence, that he was coming with something radically new, and, they, and if they didn't get on board and obtain fresh wineskins, they were going to miss it. They were going to miss Jesus. This is what I think happens in church a lot, with a lot of well-meaning people, is that they miss Jesus. He's there in front of them, and they miss him. This is why sometimes somebody can come to faith in Christ very new and very young and they get it. It's like right now, if I try to learn a second language or a third language or a fourth language, it's very difficult for me at 42. But if I were 12, much easier. If I were raised in a bilingual household, I can get it very easy. Why? Because I'm young, I'm new, I'm fresh, I'm very moldable, my mind is like a sponge. But the older I get, the more closed my system becomes, the more closed, the harder that it is for me to make change. So is true in my spirituality that when I'm fresh and when I'm new in the things of God, like like Matthew, like Levi was in this situation, I get it, I see Jesus, I, I understand what's going on, and maybe I don't understand everything, but I get enough, I get the essential parts of it. But if I'm not careful, I become just like the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the religious leaders who knew the Bible backwards and forwards, yet they did not even see God when he shows up in flesh in front of them. They missed Jesus. See, I want you to understand this. God does not change. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, Old Testament, New Testament, Malachi chapter 3 declares, God declares of himself that I am God and that I change not. He does not change. But how he works and how he moves is different in every single generation. Read the Bible. He's the same God. His divine attributes are the same. The triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the whole doctrine of God and the doctrine of of the three in one does not change. It has never changed. It will never change. The consistency is there. But how he chooses to move is different with each person, with each individual. Look at how Jesus, he interacts with every person differently and uniquely. Why? Because they're all different and unique. Look how God works. In the Old Testament, he begins with this relationship in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then when sin enters into the world, he establishes his covenant with Abraham, and he takes Abraham on this journey. And then he, and then he further establishes it as that nation begins to grow, and he begins to lead them through Moses, right? He begins to lead them. He begins to guide them. He begins to direct them from being a slave people to a nom- people, to all of a sudden with Joshua, he begins to establish them as a a nation. That's what we see today, the nation of Israel. What you watch on the news, that's the promised land. That's what they were given by God. That's why they fight so passionately for what is theirs. And then we see that God then does a new thing when he brings in Jesus Christ. It's the same God. He doesn't change. But he begins to work new and differently. You cannot put God in some algebraic formula. Uh, those of you with engineering minds, you, you, you cannot equate God and put him into it. You cannot relegate him to an equation. It does not work that way. A plus B does not always equal C. Now, we've got to align our experiences with God's Word. I'm not saying that, hey, man, just get out there, footloose, fancy-free, do what you want to do. Whatever's good for you is good for you and good for me. No, 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 no. That's why God gave us the Bible the canon of scripture, from Genesis all the way to the maps in the back of the book. It's God's word, right? You understand? It's God's word. And so we lean so heavily on that word that if it were to move, we would fall. I don't care what your experiences are. I don't care what you think. Quite frankly, you don't care what my experiences are and what I think. What we all care about is one thing. What does the Bible say? And if your experience and my experience and your ideas and my ideas aren't rooted and grounded and cemented in that book, It's just your stuff. It's just my stuff. And it's just wood, hay, and stubble, if you would. It just isn't going to last. The only thing that's going to last is going to be God's Word. But when you look at how God works in Scripture, He moves. He's the same God, but He moves differently. And so that's what Jesus is trying to explain to these religious leaders. It's the same God, but He's moving differently. And there's just some valuable take-homes that I think that we can learn, we can glean from this parable that I think are applicable to us in our own context in the 21st century. First is we must always be flexible. We must always be flexible. He uses this analogy with, with wine and with wineskins. And, and the reason why new wine cannot be poured into old wineskins is because the old wineskins have lost their elasticity. They've, they've lost their malleability. They've lost their Flexibility. And when the new wine, unfermented wine, is poured into the wine skin, it's supposed to ferment in that wine skin. And the fermentation process means that that wine and the fermentation process is going to, is going to give off gas, it, and, and that gas is going to give an expansion. And that old wine skin, because it's brittle, because it's not flexible, because it's not malleable, will burst. And the wine skin will be lost, and the wine will be lost. So when you put new wine, you have to put it into a new wine skin. You have to put it into a container that has the ability to be flexible, has the ability to expand, has the ability to do that. And we have a tendency over time as we follow Jesus, we have a tendency if we're not careful to become crusty Christians. Just to kind of, because we kind of know it. I mean, if I preach on a, on a passage that you know, like maybe this, you've checked out on me. And so you're on your phone and you're, you're checking your calendar and, and, or, yeah, I saw some of you. And, uh, or you're sitting there and you're, you know, right, you're playing Angry Birds or you're crushing some candy right now. I mean, you're doing whatever and, you, oh, I'm listening. No, you're not. You, you, you've checked out because you think you know this. And the problem is you're the one I'm talking to. The problem is Jesus is here and you don't even recognize that he's in your presence, this is what happens. And, 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 and what happens is, is that the only way that we can not miss Jesus is by making sure that we're not that old wineskin. That when the same God does something that's new and fresh, that we receive it, that we get it, that we understand it. And so we need to make sure that we don't become inflexible in our thinking. We don't become inflexible in our methods, not our message. The message never changed, but the methods change. The means of spreading the gospel change as long as the message stays the same. That's what we say at Life Church. We'll do anything short of sin to see someone far away from God get connected to him, period. Why, because we're not not married to methodology. Look, I'm not married, there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to have church on Sunday morning. It's just our custom, it's our culture. Is it wrong? No. Is it sacred? No. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a church building. Is it wrong to have a church building? No. Do you have to have one? No. We didn't have one before we got in this room. We don't have one at the West Campus. We don't have one at the Appleton Campus. I don't know what they're showing before or after, but it's probably not going to be the same thing you're doing right now. Why? Because God doesn't reside in the buildings made by the hands of men. He resides in the hearts and lives of men and women. But sometimes what happens is we get stuck that it has to look a certain way. It has to be a certain way. You know, we say things like, oh, man. And people start talking like uh, this uh, when they start talking about the good old days. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? Been, again, if you haven't been raised in church, I'm sorry. But if you have been raised in church, I'm going to make funny for a minute. Listen, we do this. You know, I remember back when. Mm, mm, I remember, man. I remember we had three-hour church services. Do you really want to have a three-hour church service? No, you don't. I remember we used to have revival. Sunday night, Monday night, uh, Tuesday night, and oh, it was Holy Ghost night on Wednesday night. Do you really want to do that? No, because if I did a revival today, there would be about 60 people show up on Monday night you know why we did it back then? It's because in the 70s, there was a charismatic renewal that was taking off. And what was happening is people were leaving mainline denominations to go to non-denom charismatic Pentecostal churches, and they were flooding our places, and it was packed. It was the biggest attendance, and it was the biggest offerings. And pastors went, wow, we can fill the house. Wow, people will show up. Wow, this is happening. And that's how we grew the church. Look at it. In the 60s and in the 70s, the Jesus movement, and this way it happened. Oh man, don't you? This is the deal. I mean, listen, people. We get all caught up in how good the good old days were. You know, I remember back when this is what, and I remember when. I remember we used to sing songs. Like, don't you remember we used to sing songs? And the lights were always up, and we had a hymnal in front of us. Hmm. Back in the day. Really, really, that that's that's what you're gonna live and die on. Now, don't misunderstand me. Page one thirty six. My favorite song of all. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Why on others thou art calling? Do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. Why on thou others thou art calling? Do not pass me by. I know all the four stanzas. Thou, the king of all my comfort. I can go on all day. Nando probably should sing that song and play that. He doesn't. He doesn't even know it. He didn't know where the book is. It's actually in my office. He didn't even know where the hymnal is. I have all the hymnals. I mean, I I, I get it. I understand. But what I'm trying to say is, is that there's something in our minds that we go. And whatever the song that was played when you got saved is probably your favorite song. It's kind of like some of you, most of you, whatever the hairstyle was, when you graduated high school, you're still sporting it. Because we don't like to change. That's right. Some of you girls, y'all got the wings like Farrah Fawcett. 1970s. 80 girls, they still sporting a big... Remember that? And some of you guys have a mullet, and you need to get rid of it. I'm just telling you. And if you don't think people in Wisconsin don't have mullets, just go to the Walmart Supercenter at West Bend on Friday night. I'm just telling you right now. Mm. I'm telling you, Wisconsin's the Arkansas of the north. There's more blaze orange, four-wheel drives, and mullets you can shake a stick at. Do you really want to go to that? No. What you're saying is, I encountered God and it was good. And are there things that happened in the olden days that were great? Sure there are. As a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I mean, one of the things that we used to do with Sunday night church is it was a very casual environment and and the altar times were great. And as a parent, I want my kids to have that. Well, why don't we do Sunday night? Because again, because Sunday night's just a cultural, non-sacred way of doing things. Is it wrong? No, but why do we have to go back to this way to make it happen? Because 100 years before, they weren't doing Sunday night. You understand why Sunday night churches got introduced, don't you? It's because churches realized that they together could could afford to bring electricity into the building, and nobody else had it, and so they would come in, and everybody went home at dark, and everybody went to bed at dark, but you could go to the church house, which was the schoolhouse, which was typically the center of the town, and they would turn the lights on, and people would come to see the lights because they had nothing else to do. That's why Sunday night church was introduced. But oh, bless God. That's uh, that's when it was. That's when God moved. That's when Jesus went to church. No, Jesus never went to church on Sunday night. He went on Saturday night. Get it right, people. Do you understand? I'm just saying, we sometimes miss it. And we've got to become flexible and go, God, what are you doing? Or we will miss Jesus. We'll get hung up on things that are not meant to be hung up on. Are they wrong? No. But are they godly? Not necessarily. They're just us. It's It's just our way. Again, whatever song was playing... When you got saved, that's probably your favorite song. If you tell me your favorite song, I probably will tell you what decade you got saved in. It's just true. It just is. Second thing, we need to be fresh. Fresh. I'm not talking about deodorant either. We need to be fresh. One of the most common mistakes that Christians make is that they think that they can live their lives off a single commitment that they made years ago. You give your heart and life to Jesus, and that's it. No, that gets you saved. But you begin a relationship. What I've discovered is that the Christian life is a continual renewal and daily recommitment to Christ. It's not just a once and for all decision, but every day, every day of my life, on a regular basis, I'm saying, God, I need you more today. God, I need to connect with you today. God, I need to be fresh today. God, this needs to happen today. God, I want to experience you today. See, See, it's great that God did stuff yesterday. It's great that God did stuff last year. It's great that God did stuff 10 years ago, but what's he doing today in your life? How fresh are your stories? How fresh are your encounters of faith? How fresh are you? That, because if not, that's what's happening is, is these religious people, all their stuff was all old. All their stuff was all past. God was not doing anything new in their life. And the reason why Matthew was excited, the reason why he was bringing more people to Jesus than any religious person of the day is because it was fresh. It was new. Jesus had changed his life. That's why God used 11 men to change the world that had only been discipled for three years. Last weekend. Um I, I had the weekend off. And honestly, I, I was up at a lake and my idea last weekend was I was me and Zach Brown and Jimmy Buffett, we were gonna be knee deep in the water somewhere. I, I was I was gonna do the online campus, but I was just gonna like kick back, max and relax, hang out on a pontoon boat and just sleep and eat. Can I just really be honest with you? I had steaks, I had it all lined out, everything. And uh uh and uh so my brother who, who I love dearly, um, came up to see me, and uh, so he came in and flew in, and I picked him up, and and uh, and he says to me, "Hey, are we going to go to church on Sunday?" Now I'm the pastor, so don't hate me, all right? But I'm just saying, well, you know, I mean, like you know, and uh, my brother has not been a Christ follower for a very long time, and and he's had. He's had, a, he's had just a very, you know, just a really rough past and, and just has done God's done some amazing things in his life. And he's kind of new on this journey. And he knows, but it's, this is, and he said, well, hey, if you want to go to church, I just want to let you know, I brought some khakis, some pants, and, and, I, and I brought a Bible. Rewind. You brought a what? Because my brother has never in all of my adult life ever traveled with a Bible. Like this is just not the deal, right? And um, so Tammy says to me, she goes, you, you need to go to church if he wants to go to church. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> don't judge me, people. <laughs> don't judge me. I don't claim to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm just telling you. What I wanted to do was have a late breakfast and get on the lake. I was going to watch the online campus, but on the lake because I could do it. I'm just telling you. I, Right? 3G, I could just sit right there on my iPad, watch it, praise God, hallelujah. Throw that fish, throw the rod over here, Ava. I, I, that's what I'd be doing. Um, I told her, I said, woman, I don't even, I'm talking to Tammy, I don't even have like pants. I'm like, oh, I've got shorts and flip-flops. It's life church. It's what you tell people, isn't it? Don't you love when your wife takes your own preaching and throws it against you? <laughs> don't do that to me. So... Right, it's easier to preach. It. I, I said, she goes, "You'll be fine." I said, "I have a shirt that, like, I wore from from the office, changed it to some shorts, and, 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 and headed up, and I, that's all I got. It'll be fine." So I said, "Yeah, let's go." So we got up. Thank God for the Appleton campus. Went to the Appleton campus last weekend because we were up 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 in North Central Wisconsin. So we went to the Appleton campus last weekend. Man, sixty one people at the Appleton campus. Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> In the middle of summer, the campus has just launched late spring, 61 people. And I and so I we kind of we we we're on our way there, and my brother says, Hey man, I, I need to stop and get a smoke. Like I don't want to do it like in front of the church people. I said, What's the movie theater? Nobody's gonna care. He goes, really? I said, Okay, I'll get some gas. So we're we're a few minutes late coming into church. And he was expecting like a southern two-hour service. You know, and it, we're like an hour and 15 minutes. And so we get in, song was done, and then Kevin gets up to preach. Kevin Miller was there, preached an incredible message last weekend. I mean, amazing message, great message, and just did a great job. And I, and I told Kevin, I said, look, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to do anything. I'm in flip-flops and in shorts. I'm just kind of slipping in, and that's what I did. And, uh, and so we're in that service. Two people gave their life to Christ last weekend. I mean, Kevin does an altar call, and I'm thinking, he needs to be preaching about salvation. And then two people, two adults, check the box, get saved, and I don't have time to tell you the stories. Amazing stuff is happening in Appleton. Just amazing God is moving in Appleton. And 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 so and so we're sitting there, and my, my brother and I had this conversation. and I just thinking, how stinking cool is this? I'm at a church that I pastor. I'm wearing shorts on the weekends. I could never do that in traditional churches. And, and I'm there, and here is my brother whom I have prayed for, I have fasted for, I've believed for, I've stood in the gap for. He's in church, with his Bible open. Giving in the offering. Woo, you know salvation's hit the house and people start giving money. Giving in the offering. Let me say that again. Giving in the offering. Two people give their life to Christ. Thank God for Life Church. Thank God for the Appleton campus. I watched those people set up, tear down, do all that they were doing. You know the reason why God's moving to the Appleton campus? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because it's the same, they have the same spirit that the Germantown campus had when it started. When the Germantown campus started, all of those people that came to the original campus here in Germantown left a very comfortable, great church in Milwaukee, and they came here for one reason, because they were told they'd see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ if they planted a church than they'd ever seen in their lives. God blesses that. Look around. God blesses that. And that's exactly what's happening at Appleton right now. You are there, and you are serving God, and you are doing it with the right heart. And God is opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing. And it's amazing to see what God's doing in the Fox Valleys. I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. But it's about being fresh. It's about making sure that our stories are not old, our experiences are not old, that that, that we're taking that time. And the last thing I want to say, and I'm going to land this plane because I'm already 8 minutes and 42 seconds over, is we need to be free be free we must be free we need to make sure and become careful not to become content with the old look at verse 39 again Jesus says no one after drinking the old wine wants the new for he says the old is better why because it's comfortable our number one enemy isn't the devil our number one enemy is comfort What happens is is that we get comfortable as a church and and we we get into this cadence and we get into this deal and we get into our rules and we get into our regulations and we get into our little thing and we got our seat and we got our service and we got it just the way we like it. And the problem is is that we don't change. And the problem is is that we like the old. It's like an old pair of shoes. They're just comfortable. We're, We're just used to it. But God's wanting to do new things. God's wanting to experience new things. William Barclay, the great theologian, said there is in religious people a kind of passion for the old. Nothing moves more slowly than the church Because we like it the way it was And when you do that, you miss out You miss out on what God's doing You miss out Jesus is there and you miss him You completely miss him See, Jesus was teaching the religious scholars That in their fight to keep the old way They were failing to see a better way They were failing to see that Jesus was the way The truth and the life when we don't follow Jesus, when we just try to keep our traditions and keep our things and keep our way of doing things, and when we become inflexible, when we become stale, and when and when we become kind of confined to the old way of doing things, instead of being flexible and being fresh and being free, what happens is, is we miss what God's doing. And it makes about as much sense as putting a... A new, an old patch onto a new garment. A new garment doesn't need an old patch. And an old garment can't handle a new patch. And, and, and new wine needs new wineskin. And new wine doesn't need an old wineskin because old wineskin can't, ha, can, can't handle it. And that's what happens. We begin to have religion over relationship. We, need, we begin to have my leadership over Christ's followership. We begin to have my way over God's way. It's my kingdom over his kingdom. And the church begins to become a bunch of navel-gazing, kumbaya, go-to-hell Christians and become so inwardly focused that all they're concerned about is property, buildings, budgets, and their own needs. And they basically just say to hell with the world, literally. And it dies. Oh, the church of Jesus Christ is growing today today at a record number. I am more optimistic about the church than I've ever been. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today than there ever has in the history for 2000 years. Do you know every three days, there's an evangelical church that is hitting 2000 people in attendance on weekend attendance every three days in America. So what, what, what's up with these small churches? It's because what's happened is, is that unless we keep our relationship with Christ flexible. Unless we keep it fresh, unless we keep it, unless we keep following Jesus, that's what's going to happen to us. It's all got to be about Jesus. When we lift high the name of Jesus, he'll draw all men into him, whether it's in a storefront or a cathedral, whether it's a video venue at the West Campus or Appleton, or whether it's someone standing there in living color. God can transcend any condition, any situation, as long as our eyes are upon Jesus. And religious people will always criticize. When Jesus is in the house, they will always criticize and spiritualize the things that they don't understand. So don't get dismayed by that. But it's our passion. It's our heart. It's my desire that I stay fresh. That I stay flexible. And that I stay free from my ways of doing things. It's my desire that we as a church always, always are willing to try new things short of sin to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we never get complacent. I want to move the piano every weekend on the platform. So one day somebody walk in and go, hey, who moved the piano? You been to a church like that? Mm-hmm. Instead people go, well, why, why didn't the piano get moved this week? Flexibility, freshness. I, I, I get it. God is doing a new thing. I'm telling you, he's doing a new thing. I'm telling you, I was at the Appleton campus last weekend. The Spirit of the Lord is there. God is working and moving in ways I don't even understand. And I'm so excited. I'm telling you, I'm so excited. I'm so optimistic. But, Life Church, we've got to keep flexible. Life Church, you better not have your eyes up on me. You better have your eyes on Jesus. Life Church, we better not become about what we did last year. Who cares how much money we gave to missions last year? What are we doing for missions this year? Who cares how many people were saved last year? Who's getting saved this year? Who cares how many people were baptized last year? Who's getting baptized this year? Who cares how much outreach was done last year? What are we doing now? Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow hasn't come. The Bible says that we live today in this moment. And my prayer is, is that that's exactly what we will do. Because if that's what we've done, that's why we're blessed And if we want to continue to see those blessings happen corporately in our church and individually in our lives, we've got to be people that are new wineskins so that that new wine, same God, never changes, new wine pours into our life that we can handle it. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you for the challenge. I thank you, Lord, for that. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us always, always, always to look for you, Jesus, to not miss you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.